this morning, I'm going to be preaching from the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And I think, I think this book and especially this chapter is really important in the day in which we live. I was in my second year of university, uh, 2015, when um, when we saw images coming through across the media about what ISIS was doing through um, through the Middle East, and it was really interesting being in that context of university where so many people around me at that point were so confused about how could such evil be seen in a world uh, that is supposedly so advanced. And within this book of Ecclesiastes, within this chapter, we see that man has sought out many schemes. And so within a world of, of, of looking for many schemes, looking for answers in a confusing world, um, we have this book. And so before I read from Ecclesiastes chapter 7, just a real quick overview of this, of this book. Uh, in verses, in the first verse of Ecclesiastes, you see the author introducing the words of the preacher. And so for the rest of the book is basically the words of the preacher that the author is using, um, to narrate a story or to narrate a point. And the conclusion of that point or the conclusion of this narrative is found in verses uh, 9 through 14 of, of chapter 12, right at the end. And so where we are today is right in the middle of this book, right in the middle of this author's narrative. The first six chapters of Ecclesiastes uh, explores the, the, the preacher's quest for meaning. And in the later half of the book, 7 through 12, we see both the nature and the limitation of wisdom. And we see the nature and limitation of wisdom here in Ecclesiastes 7. And I'm going to spend more time focusing on the limitations of wisdom, of man's wisdom, um, but first we'll look at some of the nature of wisdom. So let's, let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses, through to verses 8, chapter 8, verse 1. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance and advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful and in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. 
Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this and from that withhold not your hand, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That that which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman, a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. This is God's word. And so we see in verses, just really quickly on the nature of wisdom, we see right at the start, verses 1 through 4, that a good name is better than precious ointment, the day of death and the day of birth. To, to our modern world, this is, this is strange wisdom. I remember when I was holding my youngest brother Isaac, when he was first born, and how we built just a, a good friendship or bonding through his first couple of years of life as I'd help mum look after him. Um, there's so much excitement about this new newborn in the world, this new child, but you have no idea how he is eventually going to live his life. But it, I've been at Christian funerals in my life, and we've been able to celebrate someone who has lived long in the Lord, or even a short while in the Lord, and how they have they've lived their life for for God. And you have much reason at that point to celebrate a life that has been lived for the Lord rather than rather than pondering at the start of life how is this child really going to turn out? It's good for us to consider the day of death because in that in light of eternity in light of the end we can live well in this life. It's the nature of wisdom in this life, a part of the nature of wisdom. It's better to hear for a man, verse 5, it's better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. I've gone camping many times, and one of the best things to generate heat is just a whole bunch of small dry twigs or manuka twigs that are, that are bone dry, and you can sort of break them up and chuck them on the fire. And, and there's this moment, there's this moment, a moment of a flash of heat that sort of helps your other wood get burning. But if you don't have larger pieces of wood, if you don't have strong um, blocks of wood that are going to be able to catch light and then last over a long time, it's just a, a little moment of glory and then nothing, and then it's just frustration. And it's the same way with with um, with the Song of Fools, that if we do something funny or to be silly and we have 
foolish people around us laughing at us. We, it feels good in a moment, but in the long run, there is no, there is no gain. So it's better to be a, the rebuke of the wise, to be surrounded by strong people, than to hear the song of fools. Verses 7 through 10, there's four, uh, there's four challenges or, or hindrances to, to wisdom, bribery, corruption. Uh, there's impatience, there's bitterness, and nostalgia. Nostalgia, why were the for- do not say, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. We're to live our life in, in, in expectation and hope of the present with thankfulness in the part, part, thankfulness for the past, but not longing for the days of old because it's not from wisdom that you ask this. And so in this, in the preacher's exploration, there's a question that comes out because of the context in which he lived. And we see and we see that, that in the world in which he lived, he begins this journey to try and understand things that are going on around him. He says in verses 23, 24, 25, he says, I will be wise. He's going to understand the context that we'll get to soon. He's going to understand the confusion that he lives in. He says, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That wisdom was far from him. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom in the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. But what does he say that he discovered in this journey to understand? He discovers, verse 29, that God made man upright. This alone I found. God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. We live in a scheming world. We live in a world that is, that is full of philosophical ideas and all sorts of temporary solutions to the, to the challenges that we face in our life that, that you can see throughout history the way that, that, way that thought has developed and, and oftentimes thought and, and understanding has developed in response to, to challenges and tough times that have been faced in this world. And so we live in a scheming world. That's the context in which we live. But the question that I seek to answer this morning or to help us see within this passage is, and based on this question, is what makes wisdom Christian? How do we know, how do we discern between the wisdom and the schemes of this world? How do we understand what what makes wisdom Christian? What is Christian wisdom in this world? What is the starting point for, for having Christian wisdom in this world. And so we, we turn to, to answer this question. We look at verse 13. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? So the first point about what makes wisdom Christian is that Christian wisdom embraces the sovereignty of God. When I was younger and I was just a early teenagers, some of my friends would sit around and they'd ponder this question, probably the dumbest question I've ever heard asked, but it was also a fascinating one to, to spend time thinking on, is could God lift a rock, or could God make a rock so heavy that he couldn't lift it? And I remember we would spend many Sunday afternoons sitting around pondering that, and, and, and there'd be frustration, and there'd be questions like, could God make a rock so heavy that he couldn't lift it? And the problem is, is that 
the whole basis of that thought is that we are assuming, we're placing upon God thoughts about ourselves, thoughts about human strength that we assume that God could make something that he couldn't lift uh, with human strength or strength according to himself. We're putting himself in our own image about trying to lift weight, thinking with muscles and, and strength and these things. But one thing is for sure, that if God has made something straight, if God has made something straight, you cannot bend it. We aren't to, we aren't to ponder silly ideas, but if God has made something straight, we cannot bend it. We cannot make it crooked. And so we're slow to realize God's position in the universe and accept the limits of our humanity. We're, we're quick we're quick to forget that God is sovereign over all and that he will have his way. And we are quick to assume that, that we can push against certain things in our life and hope, and hope for change. The challenge for us is recognizing in this life what God has made straight. What has he had made straight? In other words, what is, what is God ordained to be a particular way? And that's what the preacher in Ecclesiastes was trying to comprehend. Verse 14 and 15, we see uh, what he was trying to trying to understand. So in the day of prosperity, be joyful. And then in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in evil doing. That to the preacher was a mystery that someone could live a life of righteousness and yet perish young. Meanwhile, someone could be a wicked man and prolong his life. And the reason that was a mystery is because there was a way of thinking at that time called the doctrine of, of retribution, this idea that God would reward you with a long life if you lived righteously or he would reward you with a short life or judge you with a short life if you lived in wickedness. And so that would be the way that people would, that was one of the schemes going on at the time of the preacher, this doctrine of retribution, that if, if someone died young, they must have been wicked. If someone lived long, they must have been righteous. But the problem is, is that in, in verse 16, um, well, in verse 15, he says, in my vain life, I have seen everything. He's seen righteous men perish in their youth, and he's seen wicked men pro prolong their days. That scheme was not answering the question that he could, that, that scheme was not answering the problem that he could see in his day. Doctrine of retribution was not the answer. And then we see verses 16, 17, and 18, one of the, like, a temporary solution to that problem. He says, Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. And so the answer to the doctrine of retribution is not to be too righteous and not to be too wicked, so that you'll sort of find this, this golden mean, this, this average in the middle, where you won't be spending all your time trying to be good, but you won't be wasting your time being overly wicked and then hopefully as you as you live in this average between these two extremes you'll you'll live pretty well in other words they're saying don't live in the extremes come out from both of those extremes live 
in the middle. Recognize that God is sovereign over your life. And the point is this, that don't rely on yourself. Rely on God. Don't rely on yourself to be in yourself to be righteous and don't rely on yourself to stay away from wickedness. Rely on God to lead the number of your days. That was, that was his answer at that time. But in, in verse 14, it says, day of prosperity be joyful and the day of adversity consider. God has made the one as well as the other. And this, this challenges our identity. I think we, we as Christians we typically realize that we're meant to believe that God is Lord and sovereign over all. He, he knows our days. He knows what is going to happen. But when, when a day of poverty comes far too quickly after too short a day of prosperity, we, it often challenges our, our ideas of who we are, our identity, who we find ourselves. Timothy Keller, um, describes identity as a sense of self and a sense of worth. And if we have put our identity into, or our sense of self and our sense of worth into those moments where we uh, have, have a day of prosperity where things are going well for our life. If we, if we put our trust, if we put our sense of ourself into, into whatever it might be, into the day of prosperity, the moment that the day of poverty comes, it can shatter our identity. It shatters our identity because what we trusted in, what we put our hope in has now been removed from us. And now who are we after all this the stuff that we used to cling to has now been robbed from us or taken from us. Recognizing that God is sovereign over all, especially for, for us now as, as Christians, if we, we understand to see our identity in Christ as the one who is sovereign over all people and all of life's circumstances, then we will far more readily stand through life's challenges and changes. Verse 19, wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than 10 rulers who are in a city. So wisdom embraces the sovereignty of God. Verse 13, who can make straight what he has made crooked? Wisdom embraces the sovereignty of God over all things. And so we do not trust ourselves into life situations or, 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 time, or different days of prosperity or poverty. We trust ourselves as being under the Lord's good care. We trust his providence in our life and whatever day happens we trust him that he is sovereign over all who can make straight what he has made crooked second point of what makes wisdom christian christian wisdom embraces the mystery of god verse 23 and 24 the preacher says this all this i have tested by wisdom this, this problem that he faced of people dying young in their righteousness and people dying old in their wickedness and, and not being able to make sense of it, not being able to, to comprehend this. He says, all this I've tested by wisdom, trying to find the answers, the scheming. He says, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? Why is this doctrine of retribution not true? He's going to find this out. Now, we have this, we have this tendency in our 
thinking to bring God down to our level. We typically like to think of him as though he's sort of like a, a better human than ourselves. Um, and we do this far more naturally than I think we realize. And in Martin, Martin Luther's day, back in, back in the Reformation, he called this, and, he, and in the context of which he lived, of the Roman papacy and, and all this, the Roman Catholicism, which was the, this, the main um, structure of society for him in, in Germany, he looked at it in that time, and he, he came up with this term called the theology of glory, which is basically seeing man, man from God's perspective, getting, or getting to God in man's way. The theology of glory is seeking to, to, to get to God, get closer to God, to understand God from a human-driven perspective, from, the, from a perspective of self. It's what he called a theology of glory. And here, the preacher seeks to understand life and the mystery of it from his own human perspective. Trying to understand why this happens from, from a human perspective. Why someone dies young in their righteousness and why someone dies old in their wickedness. Trying to understand that from, from his own perspective. But Christianity, Luther said, operates from a theology of the cross. And there's a counter to that theology of glory of trying to get to God in man's way or trying to understand God from man's perspective. Christianity begins from a theology of the cross. In other words, God reveals himself in a, in a way that is different to what we would expect. Think of the disciples hoping that, that Jesus would be the one to overthrow the Romans. They saw him as the Messiah, the promised one, who would overthrow the Romans. When he was on the cross, he didn't look victorious. But he, was, he actually defeated a sin, an enemy that was far more troublesome than the Romans. He defeated sin. He defeated a far greater enemy out of apparent weakness than apparent strength. Jono talked about this in, in Psalm 2 on Christmas Day. He said, out of, in Psalm 2 it says, Out of the mouths of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes. God operates different to us and he uses the weak things of this world to display his strength. Often God uses things that in our lives that don't make sense to help us to understand him. To help us to trust him. Christian wisdom allows God to set the terms of how we are to understand him. In other words, as God has revealed himself, rather than as we would prefer to think about him, Christian wisdom looks at how God has revealed himself and trusts, trusts him that he is able to reveal himself to us in the, in the right way, in the correct way, as he's revealed himself to us in the word. It is not for us to go and to try and come up with other schemes other than that. It is, it is awesome that God has revealed himself to us through his word. And secondly, this mystery of why, of, of understanding, of trying to understand why, why someone dies young in their youth and in their righteousness and why someone dies old in their poverty. Trying to find, as the preacher is trying to, to, to discover this, he's saying, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is deep, very deep. Who can find it out? There is something about the complexities of life that are so deep that we often wonder that we can, if we can find them out or not. 
And I think a thing that is important for us to recognize and remember is that God has both a revealed will and a secret of will. There are some things that God allows in our lives that he will not allow us to understand. They are part of his secret of will. All of his will is working out for his good, but not all of that he reveals to us and shows us why he's allowing these things to occur in our life. And so rather than God having to reveal himself to us and what he is doing in every circumstance in our life, rather he calls us to trust him. He's revealed his will in terms of the bigger picture in in Scripture, and sometimes he shows us in hindsight what he has been doing in our life that helps us to understand. But but rather than trying to, to understand all of the little niggly things that we don't understand in life, God rather calls to trust calls us to trust him. A Romans eight twenty eight kind of trust that, that we know that for for those who love God, he works out all things for the good of those who love him. There are some things we don't need to know, but we do need to trust God. And so Christian wisdom embraces the mystery of God and the fact that God often does things very different to us. And he doesn't always show us why he does those things, why he does those things or allows those things. Our response is to trust him. He is mysterious, but also sovereign. Third point about what makes wisdom Christian. Christian wisdom embraces the truth about man and God's graciousness. Verses 25 through to 29. He says, I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom in the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. And I find something more bitter than death, the woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Now, this statement about women, it's not an overall statement about women in general. This is just from his preacher's pursuit. He has not found one woman among a thousand who are, one woman who is upright, and he's struggled to find a man among a thousand who are upright. This is not weaponry for sexism. This is this is just from the preacher's perspective. So, ladies, just relax. Um, but humanity, we're very good at scheming. We come up with all sorts of answers to our existential crises, but none truly satisfy. One of the biggest things about Christian wisdom is that or about wisdom in the world is that it refuses to accept the starting point of humanity, and that is that we are fallen, that we are broken. Verse 29, that God, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. It's sort of a, it's a sad note to end this chapter on in many ways, but it's also the starting point for hope that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. In actual fact, he is being far more honest with humanity than the majority of today's general wisdom and general answers to the problems in life. 
Because Christian wisdom begins with an acceptance of our starting point. That we are a scheming people, we are a fallen people, we were made upright, but that we have fallen. So at the moment, my car um, has a broken clutch. And so just yesterday, a friend, a couple of friends offered to help me fix it. And I was like, sweet, that'll save me like 700 bucks if we do that. So it sounds like a good deal and they seem to know what they're doing. So, so yesterday I managed to force my car into second and into third, get around the corner to my friend's house. But if we, and then we start to pull it apart and screws and bolts and nuts are everywhere. I'm a bit nervous about how well it's going to go back together. So I have a broken car, but if we had broken tools, we would not be able to fix it. If we had, if we had no understanding, if my friends had no understanding about cars or how clutches work or how to get into it and how to get out of it and how to put it back together, it, we, there would be no way that this, that my car would ever be fixed by us. And within that car, there is no ability within itself to fix itself. It's sat on the side of the road for the past month and it hasn't come right. It's almost gotten worse and there's lots of spiders that have used it for their own gain. But it has no way of fixing itself. And the only way that we can fix this car is if we use good tools with good minds that know what they're doing. It, the car needs help from outside of itself to help itself, to be helped. And this is the starting point of humanity, that we were made upright, but that we have sought out many schemes. We have fallen. And so how does Ecclesiastes 7 point to Christ? Well, there's many ways in which it does, but verse eight, chapter 8 verse 1 says this, Who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. And in verse 20, there is surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. But this, this wisdom, so, so there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. And yet a man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. If you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 and 31, it says this, Because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, there is only one man's face who has ever truly shone within this world. There has only ever been one man who has walked this earth who has never sinned, and he was God walking with us in the flesh. What is the solution to our scheming? Verse 1 says, A good name is better than precious ointment. There is only one who has a perfect name, Jesus Christ. And he is able to anoint us or cover us in his righteousness. This is the greatest treasure we can know within this life. There are many mysteries in this life. There are many things that we struggle to comprehend in this life. But if we recognize that God is, is sovereign over all, that, that there are mysteries in this life that, that occur that we will not always understand the answer to. 
But if we recognize that, that, that man, that we are fallen creatures and that we cannot, we do not have anything within and of ourselves that can help us or save us, that we need help from outside. We need someone to step down and save us. We need someone to step down and, and show us a wisdom that we cannot come up with on our own, a wisdom that is not according to our own understanding or our own conglomeration of thoughts that we that we somehow put together and say that these are good thoughts to our existential crises we need help from outside we need someone who says this is true wisdom and the bible says that true wisdom is not necessarily a system of thought but it has been revealed to us in the person of jesus christ that jesus is wisdom and how he has revealed himself to us is true wisdom So how can we discern between the wisdom of God and this world? Christian wisdom embraces the sovereignty of God, the mystery of God, the reality of man's fallen condition, and rejoices in the wisdom that is revealed to us in the gospel. And as we seek to navigate this, this life in this world that, that you know, we, we so easily and so quickly try and condense all of the thoughts about life down to our own way of thinking rather than as God has revealed himself to us in the scriptures. We need our minds to be renewed. We need to have our minds changed so that we can learn to discern in this life between that which is of God and that which is of the world, that which we should truly live by and that which can at times be helpful advice but 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 doesn't give us a solution to our deepest problem. What do we do in that stage? How do we have our minds renewed? Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How do we understand God's true wisdom? By having it changed and transformed by the word of God, as he's revealed himself to us in the scriptures, and as he illuminates the text to us by the Holy Spirit. That is how we have wisdom in this world. That is how we have true Christian wisdom within a world of of much wisdom, but not much true Christian wisdom. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that, that for us, going from here, Lord, we would recognize the world in which we live, that it is confusing, that it is troublesome, that we live in a scheming world, that we are a scheming people who have sought out many schemes. Lord, I pray that, that for us, by your spirit, that you, would, that you would point us to yourself as we seek to navigate the complexities of this life and this world. Lord, I pray that you would, that you would give us a deepening trust in your sovereignty, that even though you work in mysterious ways within this world, that you would give us grace to trust you, that you are good through the, through the questions. And Lord, would you help us to be honest about our state before you, that we are fallen creatures, that we need help, not from ourselves, but from outside of ourselves, that we would trust you as the one who has come from outside of us, who has lived as a man 
identified with us in our weaknesses and our sorrows and that you are able to comfort us and to show us true wisdom in this world as you have revealed yourself to us through your scriptures. Lord, would you renew our minds by your word and would you deepen our trust in you, Lord, as we, as we seek to live for you in this scheming world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.